You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. All right, it's not just enough to list a pretty home or apartment on Airbnb in order to stand out. Maybe it is for some, but not for Jonah Hannig. Jonah is the CEO and founder of a company called Rove. They set out to build an exclusive network of luxury, short-term, mid-term rentals, ideal for those traveling and working. It's more than just the bones of the building, though. The team at Rove is especially skilled in upscale design, ensuring each property is tastefully complete. That means no IKEA-type furniture. Of course, every Rove property is well-equipped with high-speed internet and on-call concierge. If that wasn't enough, Rove has recently launched its own marketplace, its intent is to help investors who are looking to buy and sell ready-to-rent properties, as I describe. Listen in to Jonah, hear what he has to say about where the industry is today and where it's moving tomorrow. Hit play. Hey, Jonah. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nate. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. It looks like uh, you're doing pretty good. You already got your run in. I did, yeah. ahead of this podcast. How far did you run? I got in six miles. Six miles. Are you training for anything in, in particular? You know, I did the 2021 New York Marathon, and I, I ran in college. I ran track and cross country at Columbia. Um, I haven't been training because of the workload with with running a company, but uh, I do. I am signed up for the 2023 New York Marathon, and I, I hope to do it if I can if I can get the training in. Let's go. Love it. Uh, I also uh, am a, a bit of a runner. I have not got my run in yet today. That'll be. After this show, after I get a ride in on the motorcycle, um, I've got speed drills tonight. Nice. It's... Motorcycle ride plus speed drills. That sounds like a, a fun night. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but my running speed drills are pretty slow. <laughs> so, well, hey, um, we could talk that all day long, but I want to get into prop tech here. Uh, so let's go ahead and start the way we always do. Please introduce yourself. Let everyone know who you are and what you do. Awesome. My name is Jonah Hannig. I'm the founder and CEO of Rove, uh, rovetravel.com. We are a luxury provider of vacation homes, building a hotel brand for uh, for vacation rentals. Very cool. It's a vacation rentals is a hot topic. Feels like um, I hear lots of different things, but it just seems like it will not cool down. Uh, so I'm excited to learn more and hear what you've got to, to say about the insides of the industry. Um, before we get too far into that, talk to me a little bit about the journey. Why Why did you decide to start uh, a booking platform in this space? Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, started, so uh, maybe I'll, I'll take a step back and give you a little bit of context on my career. Uh, I started my career as an investor working for the investment arm of a, of a bank doing private equity, growth equity investing. Um, and then I started, I always wanted to start a company and so I, I started a company with two of my college friends, went through Y Combinator, and 
this was right before COVID in, in uh, 2020. I was in the W20 batch, the last Y Combinator batch before COVID. And that was uh, that. W- that was a business to uh, a B two B SaaS business, a software business to easily build customer facing dashboards. Um, and so that was, you know, my my first journey building a company. Super informative, uh, amazing experience, and, and especially getting to build with friends. I moved to San Francisco for Y Combinator, and then COVID hit. And so when COVID hit, we uh, as a company were um, working remotely, and so we moved to Southern California. And I was staying at different Airbnbs with my co-founders and a few other Y Combinator founders. Um, And it was really an amazing experience. I I really loved being able to work remotely, work co-locate with friends. And we were in La Jolla and San Diego, so we could actually go on on a run or a hike or go surfing you know, at 5 or 6 p.m. at the end of the day and then come back and get some more work in. And so the, the lifestyle was really convenient. Um, but the properties we were staying at were not equipped for remote work and, mm. and we're just generally inconsistently furnished. So I saw an opportunity to build uh, and, and saw some unique business models in the space and an opportunity to build uh, really what Rove is today, which is a, a, a rem- luxury, remote work-friendly hospitality brand. I, I have to share with you uh, in... Before we moved to South Dakota, my wife and I decided, we're like, we're going to go visit. So we came in February, <laughs> which may not be the month people think of traveling to South Dakota for the heck of it. Um, we booked a uh, an Airbnb town downtown and the we still had to work though. We didn't really like take a vacation. Like we just wanted to see what it was like to live there for a week. And... I was in the bedroom using the bed as my chair and this nightstand that was awkwardly really low as my desk. And my wife was at the the kitchen table and that was the two rooms of the apartment. And it was um, something we should have given more thought to. It was horrible. Like my, my, the quality of my work that week had to be significantly less. And I think it was something that I had underestimated what a, what a good, area to work in can produce. Totally. And that was the exact same experience I had. And it really gets amplified when you are co-working with other people. So, you know, one, two people in a house, you can make it work. I, I had the same experience. You you had a Zoom call, a sales meeting, an investor pitch, literally running upstairs, putting a, a chair, your computer on a chair and sitting on the bed. And then the Wi-Fi doesn't reach upstairs. It's not ideal. And so that made me think, you know, there, there's a huge opportunity around the remote work side. Hotels weren't equipped for this. Airbnbs certainly are not mm-hmm. equipped for this. Um, but also just generally, a lot of Airbnbs are not equipped for the modern traveler. They're designed for, you know, someone who owns the house. They might be 30. They might be 70. And they, you know, they, they design the house for themselves, not necessarily for the modern traveler. So that was really where where I saw the opportunity was just rethinking rethinking vacation stays. Yeah, I, I love it. And you you did mention uh, you preface with a little bit luxury. Is it luxury because it has the space? Is it the internet? Like what what is it that you're looking for that coincides with not just being uh, you know ready for someone to work? Because in theory that could just be a desk and you know internet. Uh, so what what brings that together to be luxury and remote remote work ready. Yeah. So the the remote work ready, remote work friendly component is more of a feature than the primary product. What I would say the core feature is, is we are selective on the houses we take on. 
So we're not just taking on any property. They have to be newer, modernly renovated. We have an internal brand score our houses have to pass. So mm. typically that means, uh, you know, renovated or n- newish bathrooms, uh, you know, kitchens equipped for dinner parties. We, we oftentimes are equipping the kitchens and then modern furniture. So we actually have a team of professional designers, um, which we take a, we go into a house when we partner with the homeowner and we do a 3D Matterport of the house, send it to our designers, and then they come back and we make recommendations on uh, either fully furnishing the house ourselves or removing furniture items, replacing them to meet our brand aesthetic from, from a design perspective. And then just thinking about all these other things that modern travelers want, like kitchens equipped for dinner parties, you know, being able to actually have place settings for, for 12 people in, in a six-bedroom house, uh, and then, you know, the, the remote work component. So we, we do put in desks in the bedroom, standing desks with a monitor, an ergonomic chair, keyboard, keyboard and mouse, uh, and, and fast Wi-Fi that reaches, you know, everyone in the house. So you can go outside, sit by the pool, and still have Wi-Fi that works. I might be just behind the times, but I think that's the first time I've heard someone talk about leveraging Matterport and remote designers because I was going to ask about that. I was curious, like, where are you finding these designers? Because if you're more than one market, it's got to be expensive, like sending your designers there to every property and having them walk and then pick out and source. But but you're doing an on-site Matterport and then can send that to wherever your designers may be. Yeah, so exactly. We, we do have, in New York City, in the Hamptons, we will have designers actually come out on the properties and, and, and see them. And we partner with, especially when we're furnishing a property, we partner with third-party design firms that know the aesthetic and brand standards that we're trying to hit uh, and, and really like we're partnering from a logistics perspective to achieve that. Got it. Are there, um, and so, so uh, I'm getting, I'm just, I'm just pumped about actually the Matterport thing because, it, you know, this is the prop tech show. Uh, and sometimes I think that you didn't have to, you didn't have to invent a new technology to apply it to improving real estate here in this very instance. I think this is actually a really good example that I think a lot of other prop tech companies may want to consider. Like there are some tools, there are some tech that you can leverage already. We don't always have to to start fresh. Um, I think that's something that gets missed a lot. And so it's kind of exciting to hear that. Um, you, 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 can we talk a little bit about this internal brand score? Is there some of the, maybe don't give away the, the, the full recipe, but what are you looking for that has um, proven this is going to be a successful property for what we're trying to accomplish? Yeah, w- without being too specific, what I, what I would say is that we, we do try and quantify what you know, is otherwise very subjective. And mm-hmm. so we, you know, we have a 10-point score across a number of different metrics where we will evaluate the property based on the finishes. So, you know, are the bathrooms new or do they need to be renovated? Are the, is there a, you know, waterfall shower? Is there, is the kitchen have marble and, and just look like, a, you know, an aesthetically pleasing kitchen that photographs well? Um, and then there's another, a, a number of other items, the furniture opportunity, how, how well the furniture aesthetic is, uh, the, the, um, and the, like a, a few other points that I, I'm not going to go too into because I don't mm-hmm. think it's super relevant to the show, but generally we, we try and quantify what's otherwise subjective. Got it. Now, are these properties that you guys are taking on 
uh, you know, if someone brings you something that say, let's say it has great bones, but as you're checking out the bedrooms, maybe there's like some of that green shag carpet and like wood paneling and you know, hey, if we change the carpet, we change the paneling and we update this, this is going to be killer. Do you, do you do the renovations or is it, you know, it really as is, it's got to meet the standards? We, we don't do renovations. That's something we might consider in the future. We def certainly partner with homeowners to upgrade the property. And, and sometimes that does go beyond just furnishing with painting or, you know, actually showing a homeowner what the home would need to meet our expectations. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, we actually are onboarding more houses than we have capacity for right now, which has been really exciting. So uh, we, we've gotten to be somewhat selective in, in, in the properties we're bringing on. Awesome. What are some of the markets that you're really focused in and you're seeing a solid traction? Yeah. So our, our biggest market is New York City. And our business, uh, the way we operate in New York City is a little different than other markets. In all of our other markets, are vacation rentals, meaning we rent the properties nightly. In New York City, we do 30-day plus rentals. So mm -hmm. with a minimum, with, for really like medium-term stays. Uh, and so we've built what I would call the premier flexible lease term luxury rental company in New York City. Now, I'm assuming like the standard you know, long-term rental application is not applicable here. How are you ensuring owners their property will be safe and that the renters themselves are, are good renters who are coming in and not going to be the, you know, one in a thousand uh, stays that ends up on the news with some, you know, wild party or something crazy that goes off the hook? Yeah, so maybe let's take a step back. So why, why do homeowners partner with us in New York City? Why, why are we a good partner? It's really because furnished rentals, monthly furnished rentals, deliver uh, significantly higher returns. So we see anywhere from 50 to almost 200% in increase in rent for monthly furnished rentals than unfurnished 12 or 24-month leases. Wow. And so why is this? There's just a, a huge uh, shortage of supply in, in general for any type of property in New York City, but especially for flexible lease term property. So if you want to start a, a lease for a furnished property on June 12th and, and August 12th, your only option is to look on Airbnb and see what there is. And the problem with Airbnb is you might be renting someone's house and it might have you know pictures of their kids and, and their bedding and, and you know, a, an old lady who has a very unique design aesthetic that let's just say is not equipped for the modern traveler. So part of what we're achieving is this brand standard. Part of what we're achieving is also aggregating demand across uh, the luxury side of the market. So that way we can better, um, better fill supply and, you know, place someone at a property for three months and then place a new renter for three months which would be really difficult if we didn't manage, you know, 30 properties in New York. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about the, some of the boots on the ground piece. This is the piece that always fascinates me, especially people who are working in multiple markets. How are you keeping track of that? You know, I mean, there, I'm guessing there's cleaning services. You're going to need some level of maintenance and upkeep repair, you know, as you know, just general wear and tear accidents happen. Um, you know, it, assuming these are contractors or other vendors you work with, or do you also have them in-house? Yeah. So we are actually taking a very asset light approach. And so in all of our markets, except for New York city, we, in New York, in New York city, we have a city operations manager, but in every other market, it's contractors. 
And so the process is really how do we find quality contractors at good prices that we can vet. And then the way we structure our agreements with homeowners is we do we do see because, because of our brand uh, and because of our, you know, just being experts at, at renting out pro- at property management, renting out properties, we, we achieve above market returns for homeowners. But similar to some other managers, we pass through a lot of these costs. Got it. Let's talk a little bit about the, the renter for a little bit. Um, you know, any sort of marketplace has a challenge. You've got to have supply and demand come together, some sort of equilibrium to really start seeing the true network effects take hold. What are you guys doing to attract renters? You know, how are they finding you guys? Yeah, so we list our properties across anywhere that a luxury property might be listed. So we are on Airbnb, we're on Verbo, Booking.com, Expedia. In New York City, you'll find us on StreetEasy, on Zillow uh, for monthly rentals. And so our our approach is that we want to be, uh, you know, a vacation club without the membership, basically. So, you know, this this curated supply of, of super high-end villas, but you don't have to pay for a monthly membership or, uh, you know, some kind of exclusivity. You can book it on Airbnb or through our website. And so we, we do get a lot of direct bookings, mm-hmm. um, but we also are accessible to, to places that, people are renting high-end homes. Is the vision to always aggregate, you know, or, or to syndicate your listings out or to, to one day truly own all that and have the majority come through or are you agnostic to either direction that ends up going? Uh, no, we, we, we want to always be listed everywhere. I think, you know, over time as we have repeat customers, we certainly are excited about having more and more direct bookings. And we, we've been, I've been pleasantly surprised by uh, how many direct bookings we're getting, but mm-hmm. um, generally speaking, we are a supply constrained marketplace. So for us, it's about how do we find amazing, beautiful homes that meet our brand standard and mm-hmm. deliver the customer experience we're trying to have. And then finding customers is really, uh, really not not the problem because Airbnb and Verbo, Booking.com, they're such efficient marketplaces already. Yeah, yeah. Now, and uh, in, in this, you know, it's. It's simple, like things on the surface look simple, right? You're just listing a property. Uh, but it, you know, I've, I've learned in doing quite a few interviews with other PropTech founders that oftentimes the businesses that appear simple underneath the hood in building the processes, the logistics, the scheduling, you know, the things that need to go into it. Sometimes there's a lot more to it. And I, I, you know, I saw that you guys have really been pulling top tier talent into your team, even as an early stage company. Can you talk to me about that? Like, what is it about what you're doing at Rove that is pulling in some really high-end talent to build out this product? Yeah, I appreciate you noticed that. I've been fortunate to work with an, a truly amazing team, uh, and I'm happy to walk through sort of how our, our company structure and how it works. So what what's brought the team to Rove? I think our product is attractive. You know, we, we work with some of the nicest properties in, in New York City and the Hamptons and other markets. You know, we have townhouses in New York that are worth $8 million. So the, the and, and I mean, our properties in New York also start start at 10000 a month. So we're really playing on the, on the high end. And I think that is, you know, attractive. The, the other thing is there's just so much white space. When you look at hotels, uh, I think someone told me this statistic recently and I, and I need to look up where 
where it's from to validate it. But I, I heard that about 70% of hotels are branded, but only l- less than 1% of Airbnbs or single family vacation rentals are branded. And so there's just this extreme, extremely large opportunity to build a consistent, elevated brand of vacation homes and property rentals. I was able to validate the, uh, the 70%, 2010, roughly 70% of hotels branded were, oh, that's branded were franchised operations. Oh, okay, so that's not the right. But, uh, but that, that says something. I mean, 70% of hotels in general are branded franchises. Uh, so uh, I would not be surprised that the, you know, the independent or the individual, there's a, a lack of branding in that space. Is it just because it's too hard? Do you think operators are not thinking about that uh, for the long term? Well, you, you see individuals on Airbnb trying to brand their properties as, you know, like Casa Azul or, you know, people brand their houses with different decor. But the problem is that a lot of mom and pop Airbnb uh owners or operators are not institutional, you know, they don't have access to the resources or um, have necessarily like what I would call the taste or aesthetic of, mm. uh, of people that work in, in the hotel space. And so you really, there are a lot of amazing Airbnbs, but it's, it's hard to find and they're oftentimes not branded. And so, uh, you know, when, you th- when I think about an Airbnb, it, it is a, it's a mini hotel. It's a hotel for yeah. it's a it's a hotel that's a single house, and so it's like you you go on Marriott.com or you go on for you know you look at the Four Seasons. The Four Seasons advertises villas; they have homes. It's part of the collection. I think the only thing that sets it apart is that it's managed by the Four Seasons, which has their you know concierge and, and brand behind it. And so that's you know we're similar to the Four Seasons. We're building that for uh, for the vacation rental space. All right, I have to run an idea past you here. Uh, so I'm. I'm talking with a friend of mine we're evaluating buying a campground and it's got uh it's got some land available yet for us to develop on so i pitched him i was like hey i found these domes it's like the kind of thing they put on antarctica right and they're just literally like little domes with a door i I, maybe maybe this is terrible and i'm going to put it out there in the public so now everyone knows that we talked about branding i was like let's call them gnome domes do a whole bunch of gnome rentals. Yeah, uh, I mean, but, I love it. I mean, I think <laughs> trying to brand in general is going to help you drive traffic. So it's, is that, is that you know, too we, we, is that too weird though? Is that too niche? It's a. I think it depends on the execution. It. <laughs> it sounds a little niche as long as the domes are attractive and, and something people want. If people want to stay, if they they seem like a fun you know like nice place to stay, enchanted. yeah, enchanting. Then I think it's great if they come off as you know hey this is a, a really a, a camping experience but but subpar then maybe not maybe <laughs> so, not so much <laughs> it, it just, i think it just depends on the execution there's there's a pair uh, there's actually a few of these actually more than a pair now on route 90 uh in montana i want to say it's um west of bozeman and east of missoula somewhere uh and there's a few of these hexagonal paneled uh, clear domes up on a hill, uh, just sitting on wooden platforms. I think that they're, uh, some, you know, that's someone's side hustle. Cause the only thing in the area is a few random single wides, but, um, maybe one of these days I'll stay there. Uh, I want to, sorry, sorry for the digression. I'll keep moving here. So, um, let, can we talk a little bit more about the types of homes? Uh, I'm curious of like, 
are they all new build? Are they, you know, all do we looking for like five bedroom up? Can they be good for two people? You, you did mention townhomes in New York. So I'm imagining the style of home may vary depending on city, but, um, you know, trying to get a feel for like, what could I expect when I go to a row of home? Yeah. So our product in, in New York city, just given that it's, you know, super urban, the most urban, a little different yeah. than our product than our product elsewhere. So I'll talk about the New York city market and I'll talk about our vacation markets in, in New York city. It is, we don't have any one bedroom or studios. We, we do plan to add that to our portfolio, but it's really two bedroom and up. Uh, I'm, I'm actually at a row of property right now. You can see me, you, you can see it. So, you know, really large, well-furnished living rooms. That's in New York. This is in, yeah, this is in New York city. That is the, the biggest kitchen. room I've ever seen in an apartment in New York personally. <laughs> yeah. So we, we look for large living rooms with a loft-like feel where, you know, a, a family or friends could gather bedrooms with enough space for, a, you know, a, a closet and you can walk around in and, and fit a desk. And, um, you know, newly renovated kitchens equipped for, for groups. Um, you know, we, we also look at some of the less tangible things like noise. Is there, you know, is there construction nearby? Mm -hmm. Is it above a nightclub? Those types of things just to keep mm -hmm. in mind for, for, for our guests. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about amenities. Can you, um, let's put, let, let's do a little bit of like, what are the money makers and money burners? What are some money making amenities and things that you've seen that, you sure could invest in, but don't necessarily have the, the return you'd desire. Yeah. So we typically, do, there are some markets where we'll invest in amenities and there are some markets where we just require the house to have those amenities for us to onboard it. So I think in, in New York city, washer, dry, all our units are in unit washer dryer, which is pretty unique. I, I doubt there's another uh, brand of rentals that, that, ha that can make that claim. Um, in our other markets, we in Scottsdale must have a pool, ideally a heated pool. In Park City, Utah, uh, for skiing, must have a hot tub. And mm. in, in many cases, we'll partner with a homeowner to to put in a hot tub. Um, perhaps you know splitting the cost or you know reducing our fee for for them for to, to put in a hot tub. And then in other markets, let's see, Hamptons pool. Um, that's really, I mean, people, you know, the, the amenities that I think people care about at the end of the day are uh, location and, and quality for value. And and pool is nice, hot tub's nice, but everything else is pretty secondary. So is this a nice house that I want to have my family at, that I can cook a, and I can have a dinner party and go swimming and, and be in the location that I want to be in? People specifically want to be in the West village in New York mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. in the, you know, in, in East Hampton and are willing to pay a premium for that. And so we're, yeah. we are targeting those supply constrained markets and really trying to build this, you know, four seasons brand for, you know, select houses that meet our criteria. What about pets? We try to be pet friendly in almost every property. There's a few exceptions, but, uh, we welcome pets. See, I'm in a few short term rental groups been on Facebook and I think one of the communities on uh, Twitter and I've seen this debate come up. It doesn't really drive that much more bookings 
if you allow for pets or have you in, in, in perhaps you're in a different category where that just, just doesn't hasn't made a, a dent on your business it, it certainly drives bookings it's we haven't i haven't quantified it personally so i don't know but anecdotally i can tell you that i see a lot of pet requests coming in especially in, in park city and scottsdale yeah you know the the vacation rental hospitality space um we've had a few conversations on this show with different companies you know, there's been a bit of a convergence of like, what is vacation? You said midterm rentals. We hear the term short-term rental. Is that something that uh, you think about as you guys are building out and executing on your vision? Uh, so, you know, what is your role in helping define some of those terms? And I think even the fact that we're still trying to figure out some of those terms tells us maybe a little early yet still, there's a lot to be developed. Um, or do you think that's just a bit of a distraction and, you know, it doesn't much matter. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it matters too much. I think having concise or, or clear terms to understand what the different rental. I mean, I think when most people think of vacation rentals, when I think of vacation rentals, I'm typically thinking of Airbnbs and, and larger single-family vacation homes. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, when you think of typically if you're talking about hotels, you would, you would say I'm staying at a hotel or the specific hotel name. Um, but Airbnb, vacation rental, for medium term rentals is is an interesting and, and newer space because at the end of the day that's property rental but um what's interesting is i think covid especially has really increased the demand for furnished for furnished property rentals where mm. people want to be more flexible they want to be nomadic they want to be able to move maybe they're required to for work maybe for uh, for personal reasons um i'm sure it was Big before, I think that you know, you, it's a you have marketplace dynamics. So I think there's you know more demand now, and there's also more supply now. And as you have more supply, it, it you know helps increase the demand and and creates that marketplace flywheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think you know it's probably one of those things that we'll debate in the industry, but I'm not so sure how much the consumer cares about. You know, they know what they're looking for generally, and as long as they find something that delivers on the value that they were seeking uh, it can be a good experience whether it's referred to as vacation rental or hospitality industry maybe doesn't much matter um, there's also you know it seems to be a continued growth of interest from investors both on the venture side caring about you know the tech that's powering this space um, but I'm curious what you're seeing from individual investors. Is the appetite still growing for wanting to get a slice and a piece in the short-term rental, vacation rental space? But And then similarly, institutional. Are you hearing more institutional investors trying to figure out their way to buy into this space? Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk about the, the venture world, and then I'll talk about the institutional world. So from a venture perspective, certainly – there's a lot of growing technology that is enabling, um, generally enabling these types of stays. And that's Mm -hmm. not just Airbnb, but that's also the tools that, that Rove and other hosts and and management companies and other real estate companies are using. And so, you know, I think you, you, you talk to other prop tech founders, you know, real estate technology still in, in the early days, you know, a lot of institutional and individual landlords still operate, you know, 
like it's 1965. I mean, I can't tell you how many landlords I've met that you know carry around a chain of keys for all their units, and these these guys that are, must be worth a hundred million dollars, and you know, like are, are dressed like you know baggy jeans with, with worn out shoes. It's, it's cool, um, but th- there's a lot of room for tech, technology to improve the experience for both homeowners and renters. And so specifically, getting back to your question about the venture world, um, with with managed, with branded management businesses, a lot were started before COVID and a lot were, you know, in kind of in this free money environment were growing so quickly that the unit economics just didn't make sense. And so several blew up during COVID. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of the technology that shifted has allowed the unit economics, these businesses to be much better. And so specifically with Rove, because we're focused on the high end of the market, our property, you know, our, we, we don't onboard properties where we, we don't expect our, our net income. So like the, the, our, after the, like the total booking value after our owner payment and all the operating expenses, Rove net income to be at least 20,000 a year. So by mm-hmm. focusing on higher end properties, our margins are just higher because there's certain fixed costs associated with, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a four bedroom mansion and you know, not mansion, a four bedroom villa in the Hamptons or a four bedroom, you know, farmhouse upstate New York. One might drive 10x the revenue, the other, but the, you know, the fixed costs associated with getting those houses to row standard are pretty similar. Um, yeah. And so that's part of the reason we're focused on the upper end of the market. There's a lot of other reasons I, I can speak to, but. Um, a lot of the technology companies didn't exist five years ago, make it possible. I mean, from a logistics perspective, certainly, you know, next day delivery, and we don't, we don't have any warehouses. We don't have any inventory. We drop effectively, you know, use logistics and drop shipping to get our properties ready in as little as seven days between, um, you know, contract signing, go date and guessing. So we have a mm-hmm. super short turnaround and, and highly efficient, um, process of getting these properties ready and then every part of managing it uh you know remotely I, I can't even imagine what property management was like before before cell phones i mean you know i'm i'm working on the go we're you know answering get i mean we, we have a whole concierge team that it, it fully supports guests but that's also part of the reason that i think being an individual host can be challenging um you know you're you're wearing mm-hmm. 12 different hats we have a procurement team and we have designers and we have a support, you know, concierge team 24-7 answering guest requests. Last night, we had a, a lockout at 1 a.m. in one of our units. And, you know, five minutes later, we were able to, able, able to reset the, it was a, auto, you know, it was an electronic lock. But mm-hmm. I think if, if we think about how this chain of processes worked, you know, the guest contacted our concierge, our concierge contacted our city operations manager, our city operations manager reset the digital lock remotely if it had been 10 or 20 years ago and that lockout happened, they would have had to call the cell phone of, you know, maybe a concierge team if it was possible to have that remotely. Probably wouldn't have been possible to support a remote staff 10 or 20 years ago before Zoom and remote payroll and all these things. And so, you know, you call a city operations manager and he would have had to call a locksmith or come there himself because a digital lock yep. didn't exist either. So, I mean, every, every step of the process is not only more efficient, but also, you know, we're able to do it in an active light way where, you know, we don't necessarily have, um, con- we don't have like, like full-time employees on our staff for this 
we have uh, a contractors that we're, we're passing through costs to, to homeowners that we partner with, but provide amazing service and, and above market returns too. Yeah. And I, I love the full picture there of just like how simple, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying, like, yeah, digital locks sounds cool. And I think this is one of those things that, you know, kind of gets talked about um, a lot when you talk about smart homes, but genuinely when you think about like access and security and, but it's not just, you know, because you don't want to carry around a key. There's like, there's significant benefits here. You know, if for some reason, either the guest accidentally changes the code or they literally don't know how to enter the code or they don't follow the instructions or something along those lines. Like you have that ability to like reset. Okay. And control the access remotely. And I think there's also this degree of service that is so that like you can provide now that was not possible even five years ago. So for example, our support team is in the Philippines, but our Philippine staff literally worked at the four seasons in the Philippines and other, you know, ultra high end hotels. So they, they know they are a professional concierge. Wow. They know how to handle mm-hmm. the situation in an upstanding and, and, you know, five star way. And so then, you know, being able to hire that person, you know, probably 10 years ago, I mean, probably couldn't have found that person. And even if we could find that person, managing them remotely would have been nearly impossible from, a, you know, every, every single aspect from payroll to, um, you know, guest communication to, um, you know, just internal communication with, with them. That te- So technology has really changed the what I would call remote hospitality experience and is allowing for us to build, you know, what, what I'm really trying to build is a, is a five-star hotel brand for single family homes. Very cool. Yeah. I dig it. Jonah, we're going to, we're going to transition here to the bottom segments of the show. This next segment I like to call for the future for the future is when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Are you ready to play? Yes. All right, here we go. Number one, what does Rove look like one year from now? One year from now, uh, I hope that we are at probably over 150 properties. And um, also, uh, we're launching a marketplace to help buyers uh, buy and sell short-term rental vacation homes. So helping with the compliance permitting process and the underwriting process. Uh, so hopefully we, you know, have a really robust marketplace to help both buying and selling homes, and then this five-star hotel I- experience across our vacation homes. What's sidebar right, real quick onto that? Uh, is is this they're buying from you, or this is both you're providing the marketplace for both listing and then purchasing right on the platform? Listing and purchasing with a focus with primary focus on purchasing. Got it. Very cool. That's exciting. And what, what, the anticipated launch on that, do you have a date or sometime? We, we've actually helped a lot of our existing homeowners purchase, underwrite, uh, and underwrite their houses, but it's not, it's, and we do have a, a marketplace on our website where you can go to view houses for, for, for sale, um, but it's, uh, it's not officially launched yet. Very cool. Well, that's exciting. Keep us posted on that so that we can uh, share the news when that's live. Number two here, what inning... So for, for baseball, I'm not a baseball fan, but this is one of those common analogies. What inning are we in when we're talking about that middle-term rental, furnished rentals space? 
I, I would say third inning, maybe like, yeah, thir- third inning. We're not, we're not in the first inning. Certainly, fur- furnished medium term rentals exist, but they're going to be huge. Every related, you know, every institutional landlord is going to start building furnished monthly rentals because it's just a product that people want. Um, I, I think buying furniture is expensive. Moving sucks. It's a huge pain point that people experience. And it's a big problem across the U.S. So uh, still early. Yeah. But especially the institutionalization of this space. And you, you mentioned it before. When you look at uh, what I like to compare it to is the single family residential space. Before 2008, there were very few, if any, funds or operators of um, single family homes, you know, renting out individual houses in Nashville, Tennessee, or Memphis, uh, owned by an investor like Blackstone or Invitation Homes or Progress Residential. And now there's, you know, probably at least $100 billion of institutional capital. And I think the same thing is happening with the short-term rental space and the medium-term rental space because the yields are higher, the, the aggregation and management is just one step uh, further down the value chain, one step a little bit, you know, more challenging because it is more of a, a hospitality business than just a real estate business. Got it. Number three on for the future, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Um, potentially poorly branded <laughs> rentals, individual homeowners that have obnoxiously branded houses or over like a pink, you know, house. I don't know. I've seen, I've seen a few. You say that, um, but, but you know what's going viral right now? I, I saw it on Instagram recently. Is is literally uh, a story. It's like, my dad bought this dilapidated house and we're turning it into the pink vacation rental. And it's, <laughs> it is bright pink. It is phenomenal woodworking that they've done to improve it. But they, I just saw that maybe I, I didn't. Ago. I didn't see that. Maybe it was just, a, maybe I didn't see it and it's my unconscious memory. Subconscious. But, <laughs> subconscious, but um <laughs> yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not the biggest fan. If if they did a great job though, and it's subtle and sleek, then awesome. Yeah, and the and the gnome domes, gnome domes gnome probably domes. not gonna. It's not gonna work. <laughs> it could, I don't know. It could work. There's a market for everything. Look, if people rent uh, the shoe and potatoes to to sleep inside of, you know, maybe a gnome dome. There's someone. All right, number four on for the future here. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Um, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Sure. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? I hope uh, key departments, I hope every, everything goes keyless. I still have keys to, to my... Uh, my apartment in New York. And to me, that's crazy. Yeah. Actually, as we were, as we're talking here, I was thinking about the fact that I have a keyless fob to my motorcycle and I I don't have to put it into anything. I don't have to turn it on. I just, once I'm near it, I can turn it up on the bike and start it up and, and go ride. I don't understand why that can't be my front door. That would be wonderful. But one day. Um, all right. Well, we're going to get to the last three here, Jonas, so we get to learn a little bit more about you personally. First one, what are you reading? What, um, I'm reading the 
I just I haven't really started it, but the Anthony Bourdain biography about his the events transpiring before his death. Wow. All right. Number two, who are you learning from? I've definitely learned a lot from from you on this podcast. I don't know if that's a cop out answer, but um, maybe that's a first. I'll take it. I, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> all right, I can uh, I can retire the show. See you guys later. Uh, all right, last one here. What inspires you? Um, inspires me. There's, there's certainly a lot of amazing entrepreneurs that that inspire me. Uh, I think also I've been meaning to read the the Four Season Founders book. I've heard really good things. So I would say you know some of the the top hotel brands. Uh, recently, as I think about the, the vision for Rove and the direction we're going, um, you know, whether it's Four Seasons, Amon, uh, Chris Carlton, those, those brands certainly inspire me. Very cool. Jonah, thank you for spending some time with us today. Um, appreciate, uh, you know, you coming on this, the podcast. And this is a whole different category that we've been able to cover in the past. You know, I appreciate the fact that you guys are not just creating your own product and interface and tooling, but leveraging other existing tech and uh, prop tech uh, to, to make the experience better as part of that. Before we close out, uh, for those who want to connect with you and or learn more about Rove, where do they go and how do they do that? They can email me, uh, Jonah at RoveTravel.com. There it is. And uh, possibly see you again later this year at Blueprint. I'm a, I'm a 50-50 if I'm going this year. Are you going this year? I'm planning to. Yeah, it was good seeing you last year. Yeah, well, I, Vegas has not won me over. That's the that's the hiccup. So uh, maybe I can get past that and just hold my nose while there. But I want to see everyone again. But hopefully we'll be, have a chance to catch up in person. Yeah, that would be great. Thanks so much, Nate. Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.